from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio at the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia, welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, proudly presented by NEMA and Sourced. And hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Celebrating Powerhouse Women. As you know, I am your host, Amanda Pierch, and this is Oh, I hope my husband's not listening. I'm your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo, and this is the series that celebrates women who are making an impact in our community. And it is my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, a new friend of mine and a pink sister. We have Bertine Crevacor West. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Amanda. I'm delighted to be here with you today. I am a fan of this show, so this is super fun for me. Well, I know... Um, a lot about you just through networking and through our connection online, but some might not be as familiar with Westbridge Solutions as I am. So please kind of just give our listeners a little bit of information about your company and what you do. Sure. Well, Westbridge Solutions is a boutique management consulting firm. We focus on two specific areas. One is business development and strategy. So that's for entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses. We help them from every step of the way from starting their companies to developing their long-term strategies. And by long-term, we're usually thinking about a five-year strategy. So we help with strategic planning. We help with their marketing uh, strategies, their pricing strategies, their customer service strategies, anything to help make their business more efficient, more productive, and absolutely uh, more profitable. That is our goal for them. And then there's the DEI side. What we refer to, DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion, but we refer to our programs as ideas. And so th that includes inclusion, diversity, equity, advocacy strategies. Because at Westbridge, we believe very much so in leading with inclusion. While diversity is our superpower, what do we do when we have a bunch of different people in the room, right? How do you harness the power of those differences? How do you create community? So that's why I say when we lead with inclusive, uh, the three Ps, what I call them, policies, practices, and procedures, then we're able to create community, belonging, and then organic diversity. So what we want to do is really create things that bring everyone to the table, have people have conversations that can sometimes be difficult, but always productive, sometimes fun, and then we create the, the type of powerful, engaging communities that we want to create. And, and this goes for um, small businesses, companies. Um, now we're working with municipalities, so we're very excited about that. And so um, everything, though, is strategy. So for the business side, their strategy. For the ideas side, their strategy. And I failed to mention that you are the CEO and the head of business development strategy. So that makes complete sense. Yes, I um, love and, it. <laughs> and you sharing that with us. I'm curious where the idea to come up with these solutions mm -hmm. that your company um, kind of tackles, where it was born and bred. Well, it was, it was born in seeing the gaps. So um, I know what my superpower is. I see people and organizations 10 steps ahead of where they see themselves. And so for me, um, when I realized what that was called, that was called strategy. And I said, well, how am I going to make this work for an individual? How am I going to make it work for a group? How am I going to make it work for high-performing teams? And then, you know, as our clients range from, as I said, entrepreneurs to investment banks. And thankfully, we have clients 
throughout Georgia, but throughout the United States and several international clients as well, um, from Europe to New Zealand. So I was really happy to do that, but I wanted to see where the gaps were. And once we know where the gaps are, we can fill in those gaps because nature abhors a vacuum and it's an inefficient thing to have. So I want to make people as efficient as possible. What was that that you said about a vacuum? Oh, nature abhors a vacuum. Oh, okay. So whenever you see that there's a there's a space where something's not getting filled or something's not getting done, what happens in that space can be chaotic, mm-hmm. right? And we don't want that for business. We don't want that for, for any business of any size. So how do we take that chaos and make it into something that's going to work for the company? How do we turn it into, like, how do we turn distress into eustress, into positive energy? So that's why I always say I know where to find the gaps and then how to fill the gaps. So it's a fun thing. I'm curious, how would you even begin to take chaos and turn it into something that is productive and something that can be beneficial? So I love that question because I am a huge fan of data. And so what we do with every client, whether again, an entrepreneur or a Fortune 500 company, we do an assessment because an assessment gives us the data that we need. Data doesn't lie. Data always tells the truth. And data tells us historically where we've been, where we are in the moment, and where we can be in the future. And it shows us the trends that might be good for us to follow and those trends that might be good for us to to dismantle. Mm -hmm. So Knowing the data lets us really have more insight, and the insights let us create those policies, practices, and procedures. And the solution, ultimately. Yes. Well, I tip my hat to you because when you're right there in the center of the chaos, you can't really see anything other than what's in front of you. Absolutely. And an expert like yourself can come in and analyze, and you can create that um, productive plan to mm-hmm. kind of take them out of that out Most of that definitely. place. I love that. And it saves them time and money, two things that companies care about the most. Um, we, For me, my, my personal philosophy is that my most important asset to protect is time. So that means not saying yes to everything. That means saying no to many things so I can focus on the things that actually require a yes. What that also means is helping companies with stop gaps, right? A lot of times, especially on our diversity, equity, and inclusion side, people create um, a lot of um, programs that they might not need programs for. Um, That can be the low-hanging fruit, and it can oftentimes be ineffective. So what you have to do is plan from the top. So what we tend to do is plan strategy first, and that's by um, meeting with the the CEOs, the the C-levels of those particular companies um, to first define the strategy, the mission, the vision, and the mission of the company. That may be what needs refining rather than creating a series of programs, right? And then if we find that um, we need to meet with the managerial team, we'll meet with them about that because now we're caring about um, the people power and the policies and, again, the practices and the procedures. I always say there are three Ps, but people is also another Another. one of those Ps, right? Mm -hmm. So those are our KPIs, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so then... um, then we deal with the staff for day-to-day interactions. And that's when you may need those trainings or those workshops. So a lot of times people um, at the head of organizations, they tend to run for trainings first. But mm-hmm. sometimes it might be just a change in your policies or a change in your communications platforms. Or, you know, one of the things we do now are corporate podcasts. Mm-hmm. And that is a great and fun thing for us to do. Our clients love it. And it's because you're not airing out 
the corporate dirty laundry to everyone. What you're doing is inviting leaders from a particular company at every level because a leader could be the receptionist who's the gatekeeper, right? Um, She determines so much for everybody else. So I think we have to always have everyone at every level. You invite them to, to speak about a particular topic and you have a limited series, and then it's it's like having a family conversation. So I think those work really well. And sometimes companies might need that mm-hmm. instead of let's have a training. Rather, let's see different people from different parts of the company speaking about a particular issue and how it affects them, because how it affects them affects us all. Mm. Well, congratulations to you for seeing a need and being able to fulfill it. Thank you. I know that you have recently experienced some growth. Didn't you just open a new office? We did. We did. Thank you. I'm very excited about that. So while we're based here in Duluth in Gwinnett County, which I'm very proud to be, we've also opened up an Atlanta office. So we're in Inman Park, uh, the fourth ward, and I'm enjoying it. I'm really loving it. So it's been a wonderful way to expand our company, our services, our brand, and, and just branch out into Atlanta a bit. I will have to come and visit you so we can enjoy a slice at Old Fourth Ward Pizza. Oh, my gosh. That's one of my faves. You had me at pizza. Come over. (laughs) Come over. We'll have fun. And take a look. Well, I've enjoyed learning more about your company, and I know that people, if they're out there and curious to learn more, they can visit the website and and kind of um, do it at their own pace. Where can they find you? They can find us at West westgrouptraining.com. People tend to try to go to westbridgesolutions.com. That's not us. We are at westgrouptraining.com. And before we get out of speaking about your business, and I want to kind of unpack some personal things with you, I would love for you to share the story of how you decided on your company name with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. We had some fun time talking um, offline about that. So um, I always believe, I I believe it was um, Harry Truman, that said the buck stops here. And I love that quote for so many reasons, predominantly, uh, primarily I should say, uh, because I think that is a a great quote to follow for leadership. And it's a mantra that I repeat to myself in my head all the time. Every leader should be the person responsible for, if we're going to be responsible for the success of the company, we have to be responsible for any pitfalls that might arise, right? Um, So I always say, for me to hold myself accountable, I put uh, the name West and into my, that's my married name. I put the name West into the company. And then Bridge came about because I wanted to, again, bridge that gap, right? The gap between chaos and order and efficiency, right? And so that chasm that existed, that's what the bridge actually represents. Mm-hmm. And then um, solutions, that's what we provide. Right. That's what we do. So that's where West Bridge Solutions came from. And it kind of just rolls off the tongue. Doesn't it though? It does. And I love how you want to take ownership for what you're doing. Yes. And you said that in order to stand behind it, there's nothing greater than putting your name on it. Absolutely. Because then I am held accountable every day to what my company um, provides for our clients for what, whatever we do that's client facing. And also internally, uh, my policy is to have an open door policy. So I am never you know, more than a phone call away from any of our team members. And so that's important to me as well. So I, one of my favorite books growing up was The Little Engine That Could. And my mom used, right? My mom used to always read it to me. And 
I love that story because um, I didn't know it would become a metaphor for my life. Uh, but I love the story because I, I started this company when I was seven months pregnant and my son is about to be 15. And so the iterations of the company um, were just, they were, you know, peaks and valleys up and down as any entrepreneur will tell you. And now it's become the company that well beyond the company I could have even dreamed and hoped for. And that's because of resilience. And so I say we're small but mighty. Mm -hmm. And so we are at Westbridge, the little engine that could. I, I'm singing, wasn't it like chicka 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 yes. in the, the children's books? I'm <laughs> and I still that. have the book my mother brought me. And then I brought my son another copy because I was is like, it well, in mom's, your office? It is in my oh, office, actually. Yes, it I is. It. His is in his room. Mine is in my office. That's so funny that you'd know that. <laughs> hey, you got to have it there <laughs> yes, to, indeed. to inspire you. Most definitely. I'm glad you brought up your son. I would love to talk about him if sure. we may. So you mentioned that you started your company seven months pregnant. Yes. I am not a mother, but I have several friends who are, and I, I myself have a mother. I can only imagine how much fortitude and how <laughs> far down you had to dig in order to manifest this and put it into motion while preparing to have your life changed forever. Oh yes. Your son has been a pivotal um, piece, not only of your life, but mm -hmm. about your business as well. And Indeed. I'd love for you to share um, kind of how he fits into the special story. Oh, thank you so much. Well, he is my joy and he is our greatest gift. My husband and I, I say that every time we think about him, I, I think to myself sometimes, what did I do before him? I slept a lot more, which was great, but I I'd gladly give up extra sleep because of him. Um, so I started it, well, I had one job here when I moved from New York to Georgia. And so that was working at a law firm and in their, in their human resources department. And, you know, I didn't love it. It wasn't challenging for me. It wasn't stimulating, but it was where I landed when I moved to a place where I knew no one. And so I said, okay, well, we're just going to make this work and, and we'll see what, what comes about. And then they had what is now to me the biggest blessing, um, massive layoffs. And so I didn't know what to do. I literally had to call my mom and say, I got laid off. I'm not sure what to do. And I just told them I was pregnant. By the time I find another position, no one's going to want to hire me because I'll need to take maternity leave. And then I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to list out um, the things that I, I'm good at, that I enjoy doing, and the things that I'm good at that I don't enjoy doing, and we'll figure it out. Little did I know that would become the the framework for my business. So I performed an internal SWOT analysis. And then, you know, I said, okay, I know that I'm multilingual. I know I enjoy, you know, translation. I enjoy interpretation. Um, what can I do with that? And I've got an international um I've got a, a background in international politics and uh, government and politics, which is political science. And so um, I, I just sat and I thought about it and I said, OK, well, I'm going to start as a translator. So when I did start my work, I, I believe you must get training for everything you do. So I made sure to learn as much as I could. And then um, I didn't. So from three months pregnant to seven months pregnant, it was me thinking about how to make this work. And then at seven months, I said, okay, I'm launching the company. And then when we did, I didn't realize pregnancy is a whole thing. And like physically, just... Mentally, emotionally. Yeah, it's a whole thing that I didn't expect because this is my only child. And so... Um, I, I remember just working really hard. I, I do believe in working hard and playing hard. I am an A-type personality for that. Um, and 
it was exhausting, but it was also invigorating and exciting. And there was a picture my husband took of me um, when I had just started. And I said, I'm going to share that with my son one day so he can see like he was always my intern. He so just he didn't was know in your belly. He totally was. Oh. He totally was. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a delightful picture. But I realized that day, I remember I had been working on a project when I first started, 95% of my clients were in Europe mm -hmm. um, for translation. And then by the time I had transitioned the company um, from more than just the languages I knew, 99% um, of them were in the United States. So at Westbridge Solutions, we're able to translate over 150 languages. Um, so I love how we've been able to scale that. Um, but working on that one project, um, to meet my client's deadline, taking into consideration the time difference as well, I was then in bed for the next four days. Trying and, to catch up. Yeah, mm -hmm. because my feet were totally swollen. It was just, it was a ridiculous nightmare. But, you know, again, it let me know that I can do anything I set my mind to, but now I had someone else to think about. Mm -hmm. And so when he was born, that too was an adjustment because now, you know, he wasn't in my belly. He was requiring physical attention. Yeah, like he wants to eat, he needs to sleep, he needs love and cuddles and all the things. And so we were getting used to being new parents. And, and my husband is an only child and I'm the youngest girl. So that was a whole, you know, adjustment for us. We were the babies now with a baby, with baby. right? Um, so as he got older, um, he, at two and a half, we had him diagnosed with autism. So he's on the autism spectrum. And so then I thought, okay, I need to make sure he has all the services that he needs. My older brother right before me is also on the autism spectrum. And they're very different, though they have similar things. Once you've met one person with autism, you've just met one person. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, I need to learn how I can help him because those years between two and five are, are the biggest developmental years for children. And so I said, okay, I, I would go around everywhere, every corner of Georgia, um, where I could find information from credible um, organizations, including Marcus Autism Center, where I'd worked as an interpreter as well. Wow. So I had a, a kind of a double view to what that looks like on the parent end and then on the healthcare provider end. And so what I realized is he was starting school um, when I had my first IEP meeting, that's an individualized education plan. Uh, I'm fluent in English. I had very little idea of what they were talking about. The, the terminology was so very high level. Mm -hmm. So this led me, my work as an interpreter, and I should backtrack and say um, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was the first nationally certified healthcare interpreter for Haitian Creole in the state of Georgia. Wow. Yeah, that was super cool. I was proud to tell my mom that. Oh. Now, while the first is great, the only isn't. And I was the only for some time. Wow. So in the interpreting industry, um, you can get your training, but your certification, your national certification, that's that's a PhD level. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other thing, right? So those who have it know just how wonderful it is, but, but it's also about how you can serve your clients. Right. And your clients are the limited English proficiency people that, that come for care, mm -hmm. but also the healthcare system. So the providers are your clients as well. Mm -hmm. So you have to learn, um, you're beholden to a code of ethics. You have to learn so much in order to deliver service. The, the medical jargon in yes. order to relay to yes. the, to the um, patient. Absolutely. And so for me, what was interesting is, um, you know, we speak at home um, like regular terminology. Nobody's talking about their liver or, or brain surgery or anything like that. So you really have to get real deep in the weeds, right? And so with autism terminology, I realized there was a gap. And I said, well, people are just 
outside of the United States are just starting to really understand what autism is as much as one can understand such an you know enigmatic condition because it's it changes with each person. Um, now we have a much better understanding, but there's still a ways to go. So I decided to focus on autism specific terminology for schools and for healthcare, and so that required me creating a glossary of these terms because you have to be able to first say the high-level terminology that the teachers and, and the providers are saying, but then you have to be able to break it down for the parent right. who needs to understand it in real-time language. Child, yeah. Exactly. So that to me was, was a whole different hurdle, but what it did was place me in the cultural competence world, and then that eventually evolved into diversity, equity, inclusion, and that eventually evolved into ideas. Mm. So... It's all his fault, and I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> and and that, that was a compliment out there for, for you. If you're listening, <laughs> your son can't be listening. He's in school right now. Yes, on a field trip where he belongs. <laughs> That's a perfect place for us to return to when we come back from our break. Um, for those of you just joining us, I am speaking with Bertine Krevkor West, and she is the CEO and head of business development and strategy at Westbridge Solutions. And we'll be right back. NEMA is a full-service logistics company that provides trucking, warehousing, and expedited deliveries for the paper machine clothing industry. They offer a full line of services, including delivery within the 48 contiguous states, Canada and Mexico, plus importing and exporting, air freight forwarding services, foreign trade zone warehousing, and many more services to handle your global logistics needs. NEMA is a proud sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women podcast series. We know running a business is hard. There are so many things that need to get done and you don't have the time, the resources, the experience, or you just don't want to do it yourself. At Sourced, we have your back. Office. We support leaders of companies with all their back office challenges that weigh them down. Whether it's accounting, talent acquisition, administrative support, marketing, or human resources, our team of experts at Sourced will make your life easy and your back office effortless. To see how we can help you, check us out at GetSourced.com. And welcome back. Celebrating powerhouse women, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo here in studio with Bertine Crevacore West. And we were having a lot of fun uh, during the commercial break. I'm going to put you on the spot because I won't lie to you and tell you that um, I might have tried to learn a little bit of French before the show in order to greet you oh, in right. French. And that was a... a <laughs> Flop. That's okay. So, bonjour, Bertie. <laughs> bonjour, Amanda. Ça va? <laughs> Comment allez-vous? Ça marche. Merci beaucoup. Oh, God, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, for you curious listeners out there, we'll give you a little bit of history. Bertine was uh, a part of the team at Air France for quite a while. Yes. And in addition, she is from Haiti. So, that might give you guys a little bit of a background as to her being a, uh, a linguist. And I'm going to let her take it from there and kind of fill in the gap. Sure, sure. I love it. So um, I was born in the United States, but I didn't learn English until I was five. And so um, for some of my Haitian friends out there and colleagues, um, they've gone through something similar. So my mom's mantra was in the house, we live in the Republic of Haiti and outside is the United States. So I was born here, left when I was two months old, um, went to stay with my, my extended family, my grandparents included, so my parents could work here. And so um, the funny thing about that is there, there was not a need for me to speak English, um, simply because everyone around me spoke French and Haitian, Haitian Creole. Creole yeah. yeah, and those languages are so very different. So they sound a little bit of the same because um, Haitian Creole is an amalgam of seven other 
other languages. So it's part um, French, part Portuguese, part Spanish, part Ali, the native Taino languages of, of the island, um, known as Hispaniola, which is Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Hispaniola? Hispaniola, Ooh. yes, yes. And um, and it's also um, got a couple of African dialects brought over with the slave trade and colonialism. And so that, but it's got the syntax of German, which is really cool. So when people hear Haitian Creole, they think it's French, but it's so much more than that. And so to learn both is, is you know, just a fun thing. So growing up, I was uh, already bilingual, um, but in Haiti, you also start school a lot earlier than you do in the States and you go for a couple of years extra. So fun times. <laughs> but um, I was in kindergarten and my mother was a French teacher way back in the day. But um, I was in kindergarten by the time I was about one and a half. So you would probably call it nursery school here. Yes. Right. And um, and I went to the Mickey Mouse school. So um, that was and I got to go back and see it years later, which I was so happy about. But then you fast forward two and a half years old, I come back to the States. And while I was old enough to go to school in Haiti, I wasn't old enough to be at that same level in the United States. So we had to wait. Mm -hmm. And so my babysitters were Cuban and Colombian. And so my whole world was French, Haitian, Creole, and Spanish. And so finally, um, after years of of just toiling as a toddler, um, (laughs) uh, I get to kindergarten. And then I had to learn English. So I remember walking into kindergarten and saying to my mom in French, what's wrong with these kids? How come they don't speak French? Because I thought that's... Everybody did. Right. Who doesn't speak French? And so my mom said, well, you know, we're in America, so we speak English here. And the concept of America for me was still foreign because my world was so tiny as most toddlers' worlds are, and uh, or five-year-olds at the time. And I just thought we were really far from grandma's house, but we were still in Haiti. <laughs> and so she was like, no, um, you're going to have to learn English. So I remember what it was to be an LEP, a limited English proficiency mm-hmm. person. And I remember it very vividly. And so being that I, I am in the work that I do now, I've retired since from interpreting, um, but we do have interpreters on contract with us. So I it let me have uh, an empathetic position, uh, a stance where I could say, yeah, that was me at one point. And being an American that speaks no English is is a contradictory place to live in, but then I love living in the contradictory places, the <laughs> uncomfortable spaces. I mean, it's it's where I thrive. And I learned the ABCs in a week, and it was history from there. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I am secondhandedly familiar with uh, some of the things you mentioned, as my mom's from Argentina, and she's ah, a first-generation immigrant. I love it. So English was very much her second language, mm-hmm. and she'll tell you Sesame Street was her yes. the primary driver of, of learning oh, that absolutely. language. Absolutely. There's nothing like PBS. I learned English at home from Sesame Street and the electric company. And I just, right? I see Mike nodding, yes. <laughs> and I just had the best experience with that. And and I tell people, you know, this is why I very much love um, public broadcasting stations, simply because um, they provide this this whole wealth of information for people of all ages. Mm-hmm. So I loved it. Shout out to Sesame Street. Shout out to Sesame <laughs> Street, Bert and Ernie. I'll never forget. Now, come on, let's be honest. When we look at Sesame Street now, 
It looks bizarre, doesn't it? It's. I haven't watched it in a little bit, but I'll catch a clip every now and then. It's very different. It's so from different. From what I knew. Yeah, from what we knew. But I still I still think about, you know, uh, Paula and Carol from The Secret Garden. <laughs> so every time I'm on a Zoom call, I'm like, everyone, we're going to say in our names. <laughs> so that's where I, that's where my brain still is. <laughs> I am, I am just so intrigued by all of your travels and, and all of the, the composition of your world. I'd love to hear the story about how you met your husband. Um, Oh, that guy, of course. Guy. So, okay, this is so weird. So we met when we were 15 and we're both 50 now. Yes, honey, I said your age. It's all good, right? So um, we met when we were 15, but we met because um, my friends from junior high went to his high school and I went to a different high school. So I got out earlier and so I would go meet my friends at his high school. And one day, uh, my friend Carol introduced me to this guy. And I was like, oh, wow, look at him. You know, he's kind of cute. But I also wasn't thinking about him in any way. But, oh, OK, who's this guy? And he just seemed so snooty and obnoxious. <laughs> but he was just, he was really smart. And I was like, oh, OK, nice to meet you. We were all in the AP program at the time in our schools. And um, we became friends. But it wasn't anything where you know, hey, there he goes, and there she goes, hi, how are you? And um, he went away to college, I stayed home for college, but our our friends, our mutual friends, we were each very close to. So one day, um, my friend Craig um, invited me to go um, to a party Carl was having with his fraternity brothers. And so I went, it was great to see Carl, we hadn't seen each other in so long, and then we bumped into each other again when he was working in the financial sector. We both worked in the financial sector in New York at one time or another. And I was like, oh, we're both grown up now. He looks great, you know. And he kind of gave me that same look. Again, we stayed friends for years after that. One day I went to a barbecue that he was having because my mom knew him and, and like he was my friend for mm -hmm. real, for real. Sounds like he's been throwing some great parties too. I mean, really. <laughs> I was like, wow, he's having another one. Everybody's going. Let's right? go. And then um, one day, you know, we just looked at each other at that party. I remember I had just turned 28 and the next day, well, the next weekend I went on a date with him because we were like in between dating people. And he said, you know we should hang out. And he was like, we should. Mm -hmm. And then we went to a movie. We've been together ever since. Oh. It's bonkers because for the first year of our marriage, we would look at each other when we'd wake up and be like, oh my gosh. Is this real? We married each other's <laughs> high school friends. This is weird. But it, it actually is quite, quite right. Isn't that amazing though? Because you guys met at that particular time, but the way that the good Lord and fate shall have it unfold, yes. you know, those years elapsed and you guys just reconnected. And then when the time was right, exactly, exactly. I believe in divine timing and, and it's so weird who comes into your path. Like it's weird because my imagination was limited to that. I didn't think this guy I met when I was 15 would be my husband, you know, so much longer thereafter. And it, we are, I always describe us as equal and opposite at the same time, um, because our personalities are so different. Mm -hmm. um, he's very grounded, feet on the ground, very steady. I am more so head in the clouds, like we can do this, that, and the other thing, everything. right? Yeah, everything. And, but at the same time, our foundational beliefs are the same, um, even though you know we may have differences about a particular thing, um, for us, our priority is the marriage. Like we had a great wedding, but 
I also knew I was planning a four hour party, Mm -hmm. you know, which was great. But I was like, oh, okay, our priority is our marriage, each other, our son. So it worked out real well. He's a good guy. And I told him I married for pretty. So he better keep his looks. There you go. Because, I mean, he was cute. And that's why he got the the yes, I do. That's why he got the girl. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's why he won. (laughs) Well, congratulations to you on a beautiful family and a successful life together. Thank you. I want to turn the corner. And I admire you greatly as a leader and as a a woman professional here in our community. And I'd like to pick your brain. I'm curious about your style of leadership mm-hmm. and also what makes up a good leader in your eyes. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And, <coughs> and I'm just going to shout you out really quickly, too, because I admire you as well. And I think by you amplifying the voices of other women, you are leading the charge for a more equitable and inclusive space for us in the business world. So thank you for doing this and that. Thank you. So my style of leadership um, is very straightforward. Um, I lead from within. I'm arm in arm with the people that I serve. And I think leadership should be service. That to me is what leadership is in its best and purest form. So I say I walk arm in arm, so I lead from the middle. Um, I don't lead from the front telling people to follow me um, blindly to do anything. Um, And I don't lead from the back telling people where to go um, and I'll be behind you, right? I think when you are arm in arm with the people that you serve, which are, is primarily your team and then your clients, um, when you're arm in arm with them, you go through the same things together. You go through the same growing pains together. It creates a more empathetic view um, of them to you and of you to them. It allows you all to grow together, to be more agile together, um, to move as a team. Um, I'm a, a huge history, political history buff. And one of the things I used to think about um, when I was considering what kind of leader do I want to be as I evolve in my entrepreneurial journey, I would think about the the Roman phalanx, um, the fighting position that they would take. Mm-hmm. And so they would they it wouldn't have been successful if they weren't working as a team, right? Because you can't have one person take the position and then the other is just not, right. right? So for me, that's always what I see, you know, and and it's battle in the best way. Um, every morning I wake up excited and invigorated to go to work. Now, it doesn't mean that things are not challenging, but it means that I'm always up for the task to see what's next. Let's, let's tackle this, let's win today. And it's not only a win for me, but a win for my team. And so a win for my team is a win for Westbridge, which is a win for our clients. Mm-hmm. So I lead from within. Because all you do is win, 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 no matter you what. You got it. <laughs> Mike is Can sleeping over there. Music? He's good at that on. He's usually really good with the drop-ins. I love it. It's playing in my head now. Oh, my gosh. Those of you out there, you'll get it. If you know, you know. There you go. So, <clears throat> excuse me. In in that, you mentioned a couple of things in formation. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I also love Roman history, especially. Excellent. So when you're talking about the battlefield, mm-hmm. it's important that the formation is strong as well. Mm-hmm. So you as the leader, when you implement the formation, that therefore is, you know, for the success of the team and the mission as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's important to, um, when we're talking about leadership and formation, part of formation is preparedness, right? It's foresight, it's, it's strategy, but it's also preparedness. And for that, I mean, strengthening your, your credentials, strength, investing in your, your team's credentials. Um, for me, what, what I always want to do is have the highest possible credential in the thing that I am doing. Um, what that does for me is let me learn as much as I can, but it also, you know, that's also your street cred, mm-hmm. right? And it lets your, your clients and the people that you serve know that you've learned, um, as much as possible. You've gone 
to the highest point in the field with what you've learned, so you are more than equipped to serve them. So what I love to do is is really um, create options for my clients. So I love to think of plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, and I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't invest in my education, my team's education, the credentials that we have. Um, it really fortifies who we get to be for them. Mm, I love that. Mm. And that brings me to my next question. Personal and professional development. Yes. You are a lifelong learner like myself. Mm -hmm. And talking about kind of adding more feathers to your cap or being the sharpest, best person you can be for your family, yourself, and the community, Mm -hmm. what are some things that you do in order to kind of iron sharpens iron, you know, that you do to stay sharp and stay well-equipped? Well, this is an example of one of them. Um, I like to to have my brain be active and working and speaking to other people um, who are prolific in their fields and in what they do. Um, I'm naturally curious. And so another word people might, you know, apply to that is, oh, we're networking. But that's but there's a strategic way to do that. I agree. Right. And so I love speaking to people. My husband says I can speak to anybody and, and he's right. But that took time for me to get to. I was painfully shy growing up. Painfully I shy. That. Most people can't. I'm also a huge tomboy, mm-hmm. but today I'm wearing a dress, right? But um, that's probably why you see me in pantsuits most of the time. You rock them, girl. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. Thank you. And so, you know, for me, um, curiosity is really what drives me. Um, I get up curious. I can't wait to see what's out there and to feed my brain. So mm-hmm. part of it is speaking to other people. Part of it is making sure I read something every day, right? It doesn't matter it almost doesn't matter what you're reading. And I make it a point to read points of view that are different from mine. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to do those, to do so so we can create empathetic understanding. And perspective. And, and indeed, because my lived experience is not going to be somebody else's that may live just a county over from us, mm-hmm. right? So I want to see, you know, I always refer back to uh, Mr. Rogers uh, from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He was like an OG of diversity, equity, and inclusion um, because he said, you know, get to know your neighbor, Mm -hmm. right? So my neighbor locally, my neighbor globally, right? I want to know who they are. I want to know how they're thinking about a particular topic. And I can go into it understanding that we never need to agree. My point is not to agree. My point is to learn. Mm -hmm. And so I hope I answered part of that question. Yes. (laughs) I just have one question for you. Sure. Won't you be my neighbor? There you go. (laughs) And we've got great sweaters too. I feel like we should do mic drops. Won't you be? (laughs) If anybody listening out there is uh, unable to remember Mr. Rogers, shout out for listening to our show. Right. I Um, loved it. That brings me to the next thing about the power of mentoring and sponsoring. Mm -hmm. And now I've heard, and I've just recently learned myself, the difference between the two. And it's Mm -hmm. something that you emphasized not too long ago on your newsletter, I believe. Yes, yes. On LinkedIn, if you guys aren't subscribed to the newsletter that Bertine uh, cranks out, Weekly. Weekly, yeah. It's very informative. And thank you for the shout out. Thank you. Thank you for subscribing and reading. Of course. You talked about the power of mentoring mm-hmm. and then also sponsorships, but yes. I'd like for you to share the difference. Sure, sure. So, and thank you for bringing that up because this is a topic that is really important, um, near and dear to my heart. Um, I, our, we, our newsletter, our recent one for this week focuses on women and elevating them through sponsorship and mentorship. So, It's ironic, but I believe that women, and particularly women of color, are overly mentored sometimes. So we've got all these opportunities for mentorship, 
But then what's missing that gap is the sponsorship. Mm -hmm. So first mentorship, um, it is a great way to take somebody under your wing. And mentorship doesn't have to be um, specific to generations because you can have uh, a baby boomer be mentored by a Gen Zer mm -hmm. um, or a millennial because we're, we're exchanging information, but we're also paving the way for somebody to learn a new skill that they might not have learned before, right? Sometimes that's technology. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when our, when our um, baby boomers or our traditionalists, the generation before them, are mentoring millennials or Gen Zers or Gen Xers like myself, um, shout out to Gen Xers, <laughs> but <laughs> when we're doing that, um, what we are learning from them is the foundational experience that they bring. So that's why I think, you know, every board, every company should have a, a solid mentoring relationship, but clearly well-defined as well. Um, because sometimes we think, okay, an older person's going to show a younger person around. That's not mentorship. That's a, a guided tour, mm -hmm. right? But we need to have mentorship baked into the cake. We also, specifically with women, need to have mentorship from senior leaders, um, both male and female. Sometimes, um, well, Viola Davis um, said it best at one point. She said, you know, you can't be what you don't see, mm. right? When you're the first one, it's hard. But then when you're the first one, you have the responsibility, you know, and the first one could be anything. The first, you, you know, the first woman, the first man, the first person of color, first transgender person, first person of a particular religion, whatever the first one is, you do have to now run a marathon, but you have to have, you know, the baton where to you pass, yeah, yeah, you have to pass it along because that's how you're going to create a robust mentorship program. And it has to have buy-in from senior leaders or else it will not work. Mm. But then there's sponsorship. Now sponsorship is that next level that we we really all should ascribe should ascribe to, but um, I'm always hesitant to use the word should, but it works when when it's applied in the right way. So you have to think strategically about sponsorship. And this is why I love strategy so mm -hmm. much. So sponsorship um, requires more than showing someone what you know. Sponsorship is being an advocate. So for speaking for that person or group of people when they're not in the room, mm -hmm. it's about introducing them to somebody outside of the company, propelling their careers forward um, through other means besides just being in the company. Mm -hmm. Sponsorship also involves financial support. So maybe helping them find a grant that's going to sustain them for a year of school while they're working at the company. Sponsorship comes in so many forms. Sponsorship comes in the form of a paid internship, you know, during the summers. Mm -hmm. There there's so many ways that we can become sponsors, but really sponsorship is advocacy at its best. Saying the the names of people and lifting them up and supporting them when they are not in the room. That's so important. I've experienced that um in, in my professional career as well, the, the difference between the two. I don't know that I've had a sponsor per se, but having someone that champions you when you're not in the room is, um, it's paramount. Yes. And, uh, I, I, kudos to you for defining the difference between the two, because I think that often they're used in exchange and they're misused. Mm -hmm. they, they oftentimes are, they're used interchangeably. And, and for me, I always say, um, I love a definition, like call a thing a thing, right? So then we know what we're working with because, mm -hmm. you know, one is one fits at a particular time, another fits at another time, but both are needed. Talk about the power of different perspectives within an organization that is rich in culture. 
Oh, I love that. So culture is a funny word that I use every single day because um, culture could be where we're from. It could be our lived experiences. It could be generational. It could be, you know, the people in our neighborhoods, right? The, the culture of the business. The culture of the business. And the culture of the business, a lot of times what I have seen, and this creates those gaps that we were talking about, a lot of times companies build themselves up, they, they get their LLCs or, or their S-Corps and, you know, they hire the employees and, and they know their ideal clients and they think that's company culture and that is not company culture. Company culture for me means primarily, I'll give you Westbridge's example. So with Westbridge, um, as I said, the buck stops here with me, but for my team, um, I and they know that um, if anything happens, I support them all the way through. Yeah. Um, they know that they have my support. Now, what does that look like? Our company culture um, focuses on, you know, families being able to be with families. You can work at Westbridge and not have to work a 40 hour week if you can get the work done in 25 hours. Nice. I don't see the point in wasting time. We are very project oriented and client centered. So, we don't stick to those those hard and fast Nine schedules. Five, yeah. Right. We don't do that um, simply because our clients don't always do that. So we want to be responsive to our clients, but we also don't want a burnt out workforce. Right. right. Our team is agile, innovative and strong for a reason. They get time to rest. They get time to to, you know, have days off that that are um that are in accordance with their religious beliefs, their cultural beliefs. Um, they get they get to have fun days too. Like there are days where I'm just like, you know what? We're not working today. Let's go, everybody do your thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, like days like today, I'm not, well, am I working? I don't know because I don't have work-life balance. I have work-life blending uh -huh. <laughs> and it's I love it. integration, that's what I call it. Yes, I love mm -hmm. that. But it's, you know, and I own it and I love it and it makes me me. But that's just Bertine. That may not be, you know, one of our team members. So, you know, I, I want people to bring their gifts forward. And so with that in mind, we're, our culture is one where we really work extremely hard, but we know that there is a time to recharge, reset, and to gain balance. Mm -hmm. So that's a part of our culture. But another part is we are a diverse organization. Um, but again, because I believe in the power of inclusion driving all things, um, I make sure that, you know, we are responsive to our team members' needs. And that's easier to do when you have a smaller organization. When you have a larger one, that's when you have to double down on those policies, practices, and procedures, yes. right? You have to make sure they're, they're etched in stone. So with that, you know, um, maternity leave is not an issue. Um, that to me is a right, mm -hmm. um, you know, and paternity leave as well. Um, I was very grateful when my husband got some time off from work to, to help us with you our son. Yeah. You really do. Like little kids are little, but they're hard. And <laughs> mom needs some time too. Seriously. Take a shower, breathe. I mean, taking a shower was a real challenge. Where do you put oh the baby? my gosh. Yeah. You bring bring him in the bathroom with you and put him in the back and play. I mean that but yes, right? Like I know friends that have had to do that. I think with us, I had like a bassinet and I took the quickest shower of my life. I'd peek out and I'm like, this is just yeah. this is weird. <laughs> right. But you know, we want to make sure that um, you know, we we take also, um, other views into consideration. So, so while I am the CEO of the company, um, and I do have the last say as to to what 
happens with the company, the trajectory of the company. Um, I like to follow Nelson Mandela's father, and he was a chieftain, and he would listen to everybody else's voice first, and then he would input what he had to say. And I, I love that style of, of leadership and of conversation because my idea isn't always the best idea, mm-hmm. right? So, but I know that I'm the one empowered to make the decision. So how can I add value to my team feeling empowered? That's a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And so this way, people know that, you know, I always have an open door. And and then for our clients, I tell them the only answer I can't, the only question I can't help you with is the one that you don't ask me. You know, our team members are the same way. I'm always touch base with me. Um, I'm the touchstone of the company. And, and I enjoy being that. Um, and then, too, this is how we stay agile. Like mm-hmm. We all have fresh ideas. So maybe somebody else's idea is better than mine. And, and for me, being a strategist and head of strategy at the company, that's when that strategy has to kick in. And I have to say, oh, this idea is better. Let's integrate this into yeah. the plan. Yeah. Good for you for being able to see that. Oh, thank you. I was wondering if you would indulge in a little word association game with me. Love it. Let's do it. <laughs> so the first word is going to be empower. Empower. What does that mean to you? Empowerment. Um, empowerment to me means access and opportunity, providing those two things. That's how we empower other people. I like it. I'm writing it down. Um, we were speaking about inclusion. My, I'm curious what your definition of community is. Oh, my definition of community are kind of like Lego blocks, <laughs> right? Or Legos. Um, each piece is a different color, a different shape, but they all go together in order to build this beautiful mosaic, this structure um, that we all derive pleasure from. I love that. I'm picturing Legos, you know, and all the different colors and all the different shapes and sizes and the different functions of each piece. Exactly. Which allow the other to become the battleship. There, there or you the go. airplane. There you, know? you go. That's nice. it. <laughs> Perseverance. Perseverance. For me, that means um, resilience. Um, in my career, I have faced uh, a lot of, um, I want to say a lot of boundaries that others have tried to set for me. And I am at the point in my life where um, my floor might be somebody else's ceiling, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, my job is to keep breaking ceilings, glass, wooden, you know, concrete or otherwise, because I am no longer defined and I no longer let myself be defined by others' perceptions of what my capabilities are. And so I always liken it to um, horses, for instance. Horses I love so much. They're beautiful, majestic animals. I was just talking to a colleague and friend about this the other day. Horses can, can run, they can, you know, they can graze, they can do all these things, but why not be a unicorn? And the difference between horses and unicorns, unicorns can run, they can eat grass and graze and, and do they all can those fly. things, but that's just it. They can fly. And so why not take that superpower? Why, if you're a unicorn, be you know in a stable or in a barn with a horse, right? And so for me, what that is, the difference between a horse and a unicorn is execution. Mm. Everyone has ideas. But one thing I know about myself that has helped me persevere um, and be so resilient is that I execute. If I say I'm going to write a book, I write six books, Mm -hmm. Um, simply not for the sake of writing, but in order to share information, Mm -hmm. right? And so that to me um, 
is why it's so good to be a unicorn. <laughs> Thank you. And I'd be remiss if we didn't give you a shout out. You are an author. I am. You have several published works out there. Yes. Are they available on Amazon, on your website? Yes. Where can folks yes. find out more about it? So um, our latest book is called The Ultimate Guide to Business Strategy. And, and the subtitle is Using SWOT Analysis for Optimal Success. And um, it's honestly, I think that one's my best one yet. But then the one before that was Global Fluency. Um, and that was to empower people with 50 tips so they can have real-time information because DEI, diversity and equity and inclusion, seems like this enormous, you know, enigma of a thing that people are just stuck at. And, and I don't understand it. Yeah, exactly. And I said, well, we'll just break it down into 50 actionable items that they can do every day, like pronouncing someone's name correctly. Mm -hmm. And I thank you guys so much for doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the first step, right? That's literally a tip you can do when you have a new team member start, right? So um, for me, writing books um, is a joy. It's it's hard that much. I, I didn't know when I started, but I realized that um, the more I write, um, the happier I am to get information out there. And, and my books are are for the the business person, the startup, the the individual that's thinking about it, the business school student, or the CEO that that wants a little bit of direction, or the manager that's managing a virtual and an in-person team. So my books are technical books, but in them, um, especially with this latest one, I add stories about you know my ups and downs because it's really comical sometimes right. when you look at it. You're like, oh, I got you know laid off from a job that I hated. And that launched my company. That's weird after eating all of the Haagen-Dazs, right? Like you, You're you, a human, okay? I am. Mm -hmm. I cried in my ice cream and then I called my mom and then I started a company and had a baby. <laughs> so, you know, um, I love writing and it was scary at first, not only the writing itself, but sharing my insights with people because you open yourself up right. for, for scrutiny, yeah. vulnerability, judgment. But I said, if I'm going to empower people, which I feel is my, my divine assignment on the planet, yes. right? Because um, I've always loved helping people, but I'm like, oh, there's a name for that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Purpose. Exactly. Oh, I love that, Amanda. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is my purpose. It is my reason for being, and it is my joyful spark. So I just... I said, I got to put myself out there and people have responded really well. I'm very grateful for it. Those books are also available on her website. If you would like to yes. take a look. Amazon for sure. Amazon. Yes. <laughs> Bertine, I have enjoyed our time together. As, and I. as the producer gives me a nudge, nudge, cause we're, we're reaching the hour, <laughs> the hour mark. I told you before the show that I was going to ask you to leave our listeners with some words of wisdom Excellent. before we do, because mm -hmm. I'm squirrel brain. And I just want to share with you out there listening. We know you're professionals and that you're eager to kind of step it up. Bertine mentioned the importance of making an effort to pronounce someone's name correctly. Mm -hmm. And LinkedIn has a wonderful feature yes. right there by your name. If you never knew what that little microphone was, it gives you about 10 seconds that you can literally say your name correctly so mm -hmm. that people can press that in advance and understand how to address you. So if you haven't taken advantage of that, hey, highly recommend that you do so. I kind of had say your name in the background. I was like, you know, Beyonce and Destiny's Child, just bring it. Yes, <laughs> but, just do it. <laughs> and can I also add one thing? Please do. So that part of it is, um, I love that feature because it lets people pronounce my name correctly, but there is an added benefit to that too. When you're going to meet a client, when you're going to, you know, go on an interview, go to that person that you're meeting with, go to their particular profile and click it so you can say their name correctly yes. because that's huge. Yes, absolutely. 
and then wait, just because we're talking about it and I'm sneaky, I can't stop. If you have just like a John Smith name, you can also put every whatever you want in that 30 seconds or that 15 seconds. Like if you can make your elevator pitch 15 seconds, there run it. Go. Okay. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> okay. On that, thank you friends for listening. And I'm going to leave the final thought. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Very beautiful day with my neighbor. Won't you be mine, Bertine? Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, parting thoughts. I love that. Uh, We've got uh, Mr. Mike Salmon on the ones and twos today, which is a great joy. We love Dan, our producer, but Mr. Salmon is in the house, and we're thrilled to have him back. So we will leave the final thought with you, Bertine. So my final thought, I'm going to send it to both the women and the men listening to this show. So my final thought for women is to persist, um, to not give up, to understand that, you know, while there may be systemic issues at play, you too are responsible for your success and take an active role in it. So I would say be resilient, um, be confident, um, learn from your male colleagues who who have succeeded in the spaces that you want to be in. Um, show up as your authentic self, which is a hard thing to do, but you'll never regret it once you do. And, and really know your value, know your worth, um, know what to charge, have a system, have a strategy in play, be ready so you don't have to get ready. And then to the men out there, um, you know, be an ally. And by that, I mean, yes, mentor, but also sponsor women. Um, Say their names in rooms where they are not. Invite them to spaces where you don't see them. Um, That's how we can tell who we should be helping, by looking around the table and seeing who's not there. So um, we're all in this together. And I want us all to win. And we can. Because all we do is, there you go. Win, 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 no matter what. Mike, you're killing me. That was T-Pain, okay? (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Celebrating Powerhouse Women. I am your hilarious host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo. For our wonderful guest today, Bertine Kremacore-West, and our hilarious producer, Mike Salmond, this is Celebrating Powerhouse Women on Business Radio X. How to get, how to get to Sesame Street.